0: this morning, I want to talk about you being a disciple of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus. Most of the time, we hear the phrase "go into all the world and make disciples, baptize them," all that in the Great Commission. And the question is, most people would would have a hard time actually talking about how to make disciples. Sometimes they would be able to articulate the Great Commission and be able to say Matthew 28, 19, but they may not necessarily be able to. Talk about how. How do you actually make a disciple? What does it look like? Who are the people that you're actually discipling? And even by virtue of being in DLA, by virtue of being in CORE, you're starting to be put in a structure uh, where Caleb and Dan and Aubrey have intentionally uh, created an Amy uh, for you to be in discipleship groups. And, And we do that on purpose, but those are temporary. Those are for a season. And I want to talk to you about a lifestyle of making disciples so that it's not something that goes away at the end of your DLA year or at the end of your DLA three years or in Aubrey's case, your DLA nine years, um, right? But that it it would be something, a lifestyle that you voluntarily choose that's not just a structure that we put in place for you but that you possess that passion for it so that you go make disciples when you leave here. So let's pray and we'll move forward. Father, we love you. I thank you for DLA. I thank you for uh, Caleb Culver. I thank you for Aubrey Manton. I thank you for Dan and Amy Perkins. And I, I thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in this program. I thank you for the young people that have come from all over the country. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we get the privilege of being your disciples here and now, that this isn't theoretical, that this isn't dreamy. We ask, Lord Jesus, that we would possess vibrant Christianity. We pray, Lord God, that we would walk with you closely. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, Great Commission, everybody knows it. Matthew 28, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you till the end of the age. The reality here is that we have Great Commission, Jesus saying, Go into all the world, and he says, I will be with you. I'm not going to leave you. He's called us to go. And as you go into a world of trying to make disciples. This is something that is very rarely applauded by anybody other than Jesus. In ministry today, whether if you're making videos because you're in the media school or you're making some kind of graphic, there will be applause if you can make something that looks great and can attract people to a meeting or entertain people in just a meeting or be inspirational, and people will applaud that. Or if you're going into youth ministry or some kind of... uh, some kind of local church ministry uh, for me. I was a pastor here for 14 years. And, 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 and I was radically committed to making disciples. That's actually how this program came about. But there was never really applause for intentional disciple making. There was always applause for a conference with thousands. There was always applause for a youth ministry with hundreds. But, but intentionally making disciples of a few, nobody applauds that except Jesus. As you walk as a a, a a worship leader, there will be great applause if you can look good, wear girl jeans, have a scarf, and you know, be Mr. Cool and write some cool songs and have it echo just right and look a look, look a look and everybody's oh I'm lost in the glory and all that. If you can get that just right, then you can be famous and you can be cool. But we don't ever have Jesus talking about make crowds we don't ever have jesus talking specifically about making slick videos and we don't ever have jesus talking about being cool on stage in worship those things are cultural dynamics but there will not be reward from jesus if that is our motive jesus wants a motive from you uh, to make disciples And the quality of disciple is how your work will be tested, not how many people downloaded your album, not how many people attended your conference, not how many people attended your service. I don't ever stand before the Lord and think that I'm going to ever receive applause from Jesus because 6,000 people came to the conference that I started. It's about how many people are following Jesus 10 and 20 years later that are walking as disciples. That's what matters. That's what makes a measurable impact. And so Jesus' challenge for us was to make disciples. As you begin your journey, your temptation will be to allow a cultural dynamic to become how you're motivated instead of the Great Commission to be how you're motivated. I'm motivated to make videos so that I can work at this church or so that I can get recognized here or so that you fill in the blank. I'm motivated to be a good worship leader for all these secondary reasons. It's interesting. And I'm just saying, I'm not slamming. I love, I love media. I love, I love big church. And I love worship leading. I had a, a young person, uh, really young. And by really young, I mean eight years old, uh, say to me the other day, they said that they wanted to be a worship leader. And I said, oh, that's so awesome. I said, I love that you want to just worship Jesus. Psalm twenty-seven, four. This one thing I ask. This is what I seek. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to gaze upon His beauty. You're gripped with God. You know, I'm giving this eight-year-old big, like, so excited that they want to be a worship leader. To which the response was, "No, I don't want to be a worship leader for those reasons. Worship leaders are rich. True story. Now, now, hear that. Hear that we've got in a culture right now. That it's an eight-year. An eight-year-old says it, and it's kind of awkward. But here. That grows in the heart of a teenager. That grows in the heart, and it might be this shadow mission. They would never say, that's my mission. But sometimes, not far behind the mission is the shadow mission that says, okay, I want that, and I can say that. It's okay to say I want to be a worship leader to lead all people into worshiping Jesus so that every tongue, tribe, and nation might know Him or something like that. But sometimes there's that shadow mission that says, and I also want the impact, the fame, the wealth, whatever. Whereas what I'm looking at today, I'm looking at your motive, I'm looking at your goal, I'm looking at your heart. I'm looking at the only goal we possess is the smile of Jesus. In a culture that rewards you along the way, there's so many temptations to have other motives. But may it be that the smile of Jesus is why you go into the school of worship. May it be that the smile of Jesus is why you're headed into ministry. Listen, it's addicting to go into, especially youth ministry, because they applaud for everything. All you have to say is, let me g- give it up one time. And they just, yeah. And for me, I've been working with youth pastors since 1995. And I know more youth pastors than I can say that got addicted to applause of teenagers. Young people whose brains are only three-fourths developed. And yet there's still that applause, that addiction. It is so central that the reason that you are in the school of media, the school of worship, and the school of ministry is the smile of Jesus. Because there will be so many temptations of the enemy who will use a good thing, ministry, to get you addicted to carnality, self-centeredness, selfish ambition, vain conceit. And your aim and your goal is to keep Jesus the central piece, central focus. Jesus, it's you and it's you alone. That's why I'm in ministry. And so... The culture is relentlessly discipling you. The culture is, dis- is relentlessly discipling people. Our challenge to make disciples must be intentional if we're going to make any kind of change in our culture. Here's what I mean by that. You could say that discipleship is an intentional influence. Intentionally influencing others. All you have to do is get around other people and you start to see that the culture is making disciples. That you, there is the way that people spend money, the way that people want to go and spend all kinds of money to go watch a movie, the way that people dress, the way that people spend time, the way that people choose to uh, spend all their time to tre- tre- treasure and talent is often a response to how they're being influenced how they're being discipled. Our generation of young people, they are being discipled by someone. The question is not, will they be disciples? The question is, what will they be disciples of? They will be a disciple of something. And so your challenge, whether it's through music or media or in preaching and teaching, your role, your goal is to help them be a disciple of Jesus. Not even necessarily a disciple of you, but a disciple of Jesus. And here's the deal. I'm great with if they can see Jesus in you, then it being okay to say, just, just do what I do. Just follow me. That's what Paul said. Paul said, just, just follow me as I follow Christ. Here's, the, here's what that means. They look over your shoulder, and they see Jesus just ahead of you. And you're a few steps in front of them, and so they're like, I want to have my nose so close into their shoulder blades. I'm going to follow Carson, because when I see Carson, I actually see Jesus. So don't, don't, don't think that people are going to follow you or young people will follow you as a dis, in a, the disciple-making process because Caleb puts you in a small group. If they can't see Jesus in you, they won't follow you. And the challenge is, is to be so like Jesus that they actually want to follow you because they see Jesus in you. Structures don't necessarily create disciples. People create disciples. Disciples. By virtue of being in DLA, you're not necessarily going to be discipled. The only way that the discipleship process will happen is if you have a heart that wants to receive and the person that's committed discipling you is actually worthy of following. And so your challenge is to say, all right, Jesus, help me be a disciple so that I can make disciples. But don't, don't misunderstand. Everybody's a disciple of something. All you have to do in sports is get around people and they're being disciple. get around people just, get, get, just talk the language of the culture you hang out with kids and you hear relativism we're starting to hear more and more universalism like crazy we have materialism consumerism I know it's a lot of isms but my point is all those things that the culture is trumpeting, is saying I mean pick your, pick your, pick your cultural star and they're saying something passionately Fox News is saying something uh, Britney Spears is saying something. Uh, who's the famous uh, Lady Gaga is saying something? Um, who else is famous and cool? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, but but all every single every single one of those people there is an there there is an agenda, and you hear it. You hear it on MTV. You can hear it. You can hear it through all those different mediums. The question is not. Will they be discipled? It's who will disciple them. And so our challenge is to be intentional about making disciples. So how do I make a disciple? All right, how do I how do I make disciples? Every single person here is in a discipleship process. By virtue of being in DLA, whether you're intentional in some of you are because of school of ministry are intentional in leading within DSM. All right, but all of you are in that process. Alright, so number one, number one is we receive like Jesus. We receive like Jesus. Or another way you could say it is you could say we are discipled by Jesus. So if you look at the way that Jesus walks on the earth, we know that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. We know that Jesus came to earth and was perfect. But we also know that he matured while he walked on the planet. Because that Luke 2 verse text says it. He grew. He did not, he, he, there, there, he, he didn't like, as he's on the earth, he's growing in relationship and so here we find Jesus. I want you to see Jesus literally being. This is the way I want to talk about it: being discipled by his father. The father teaching him. The father uh, speaking to him. Look at this. This is the way that Jesus. This is the way that the father speaks to Jesus. Matthew three seventeen. Jesus, and you know the story. Matthew three seventeen, where the father speaks his affection over Jesus. Remember that story. ...where Jesus at the baptism event... ...most of us often think... ...specifically of the little dove coming down... ...but I want you to hear about the voice of the Father... ...saying, this is my Son... ...whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And he speaks his affection into Jesus. And so Jesus on earth... ...hearing the heart of the Father... ...that he is delighted in, he is loved... ...he's in a sense... ...growing in... ...being discipled by his Father... Then you have Jesus constantly wanting to get away to be with the Father who says that he loves him. That's true of us. I just preached on this at Commission last Wednesday night. But to the degree that you understand that, you'll want to get alone and be with the Father. Looking forward to these prayer meetings where we created these hour devotional sets and then these hour of intercession and worship. But those devotional sets are not mostly the hour that you will try to catch up on fantasy football, sneak out to go flirt with somebody in the courtyard, go to the bathroom two times and endure that hour. But maybe something that you look forward to because you've got those precious minutes to hear from the Lord, to receive from the Father. And so you've got the Son, Jesus, receiving from his Father. And I want to read those to you. Luke chapter 4, verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Luke 5:16 But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6:12 One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Luke 9:18 Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. Luke 11:1 1, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Luke 22:39 Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and then in verse 41 and prayed. This was Jesus' custom. This is why we have you doing this. We want you to be discipled by God. We want the Father to speak into you. You could say it either way, the Father speaking. You could say that because of what Jesus did, incarnation, working perfectly on the planet, the crucifixion, the resurrection, creating the way for you to have relationship with the Father. You could talk about relationship with Jesus. You could talk about relationship with the Father. Either way you want to talk about it. But you spending time with God where what God cares about becomes what you care about. And you are transformed formed into his image by virtue of gazing upon him beholding him and letting him speak into your heart that is the first and foremost principle of any kind of disciple making is is a disciple is becoming a disciple disciple becoming that's phase 1 and just because you're in a ministry structure just because you become a youth pastor i'm telling you my whole life has been working with youth pastors I accidentally fell into youth ministry in 1995, and I was committed to a revival. I didn't want to be a youth pastor. I wanted to be a revivalist. I didn't know what that meant because all the revivalists I knew of, you know, came from the 19th century, and I didn't know what it looked like now, but that was what I was committed to. I was going to be a revivalist, and I stumbled into not I couldn't shake the youth ministry thing for 19 years, and so I ended up working with teenagers and college kids. By the way, I think I'll do it the rest of my life. Teenagers, college kids, and youth pastors But youth pastors, so many, so many have this career mindset instead of this discipleship mindset. And you can, it is so easy. I'm telling you, it's easy. It is so easy to memorize what some of the cool youth pastors in America are doing and copy it and be successful. It's actually fairly easy to learn worship songs and kind of, make the click just right and get everything just right and wear the right clothes and do the right thing and fake it. It's actually fairly easy to get Adobe Premiere and get the right you know, stuff on your Mac and be able to copy other people's videos and learn how to do videos and graphics. And all of that being an, a carbon copy is waste if it's not out of the place of intimacy with Jesus. It's actually ashes. At the end of the day, I do believe that Jesus will look and say, Wasted. What you want is your ministry and your life to come out of a directive from Jesus, a confidence that he has called you to this and He is speaking to you. And the only place that you get that is out of being alone with the Father, getting alone with God. That's the place of delight. And my prayer and my passion for you is that that would grow. How how long can I talk, Caleb? What time are we done? All right. 2 p.m.? 10, all right. My prayer and my passion for you... Oh, 10, that's a long time. All right, I better drink some more coffee. Here we go. All right. My prayer and my passion is that that would, that that would take place for you while you're here, that you would become wholly addicted, and that you would fight for that secret place in God. Not just while you're here. Caleb and Aubrey and Dan and Amy are fighting for it for you while you're here. That does not count. But David, it's so hard while I'm here, it's going to be harder when you're not here. <laughs> Oh, but I got a kid up early. I had to be here at 8 a.m. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Let me be honest with you. It gets harder. Yes. It really does. I remember the days. For for me, in every season, you have to fight for it. In every season, you have to sacrifice. For me, in high school, it meant getting up early. In college, I mean, for me, high school days, my my dad actually required it of me. It wasn't voluntary. Right? I went through DLA without ever paying for it, enforced by a father. Right, It was awesome. All right? My dad required it of me in, in a high, as a high school student. And in those days, I didn't even fully understand what he, what, what he was doing. But in those days, 7 a.m., it was a requirement for us. And then when I got into college, then I had to fight for it. So my DLA experience was those days. But I had to fight for it. I, it looked differently. And I remember those days at the University of Oklahoma. Where it seemed crazy, but, uh, but I'm just, and I'm saying this as a testimony. I'm not saying this to sound cool. I want you to know that it, this doesn't have to end and that this is not just a spiritual bubble and that, that people around here are clueless. No, I remember being on a secular university campus and the Lord doing something so much in my heart that it was uh, literally choosing to be poor and I would go sneak off and go spend hours and hours alone with God in different coffee shops across town. And so for me, in college, it looked different. Early mornings in high school. In college, it meant not having a job, but finding a free place to live that had mice in it. It was nasty, but it was free. And so I didn't have to have a job, which meant for me, seven different coffee shops all across the city. And I would go Monday to one, Tuesday to one. I mean, Monday it was, you, you know, we didn't have Starbucks, you know, but it was... It, it, uh, one coffee shop on the Northwest Expressway. Tuesday, it was one down in Norman. You know, Wednesday, and I would do a different coffee shop. I spent four and five hours. That By the end of the year, they were all giving me free coffee because they all thought I was there regular, but I was regular all across town, right? And, and, but it was fighting for those different times zones with God. When, when I moved here and got into, into working here, honestly, we had, I, had, I served three different senior pastors during my tenure at New Life, And it was different under each one because each one had different value systems. And figuring out how to make that work, how to make that work. We had four kids in five years. And so Renata, figuring out how to make that central and how to make it. During our dating years, we'd spend three hours together at Barnes & Noble, spending time alone with God. And people people thought it was super weird. Surely that's not what you're doing. That's what we were doing. For me, that was a season. I was looking at Renata going, is is this in her? Is 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 this alive inside of her? And she was doing the same thing with me. But those hours of just being alone with God, true story, on our honeymoon, and I know everybody thinks, oh, honeymoon, now it's awkward. All right, on our honeymoon, I remember going, we would spend a few hours at Starbucks in the mornings, and those were those were because we had this addiction, this addiction of being alone with God. And just because it was our honeymoon doesn't mean we're gonna punt on that. This was the time where we were like, we want to be with Jesus for hours. But here's 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 my point. For but for for us, that God was God was working in that. And there's that 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 there's a season of going deep in God where you're receiving from Him and where that's what you want, and that's what I want for you while you're in DLA. I want this to be a season not where you ended up and you, you finished the gauntlet. You endured prayer meetings. You endured that time alone with God. I would be devastated if that's what happened. I would feel like DLAB was a waste. It is not. I was part of another internship program where when you finished the year, you got an award because you finished. It was like, yes, you did this hard year. And I said, I hate that. I hate that. I want to be a part of a program where at the end of the year, we look at you and we say, okay, this has been an environment for you to grow. This has been an environment for you to get wholly addicted. And now our prayer is that for 20 and 30 years, you live this way. That's my passion. That's my desire for you. And you see this in Jesus. Jesus is constantly getting alone to be with, working to get alone to be with his father. And as you go through life, Impact will go up and down. Ministry will go up and down. There will be a day where everybody thinks Carson is young and cool and he's got the vibe. So he's cool with the young people. And I- impact feels like it's working. But it's hard to go from impact to impact to impact to impact to impact. There will be seasons. I'm not saying this specifically of Carson, I'm gonna say this I mean, just because I know Carson. There will be seasons, maybe in his forties, where it's like, hey, that that doesn't that's not cool anymore and and now Carson's like, okay, Lord, what's my next season? What are you calling me to? And, and it doesn't, the, the, the vibe doesn't work like it did. And, and, I'm, I'm going, and I'm in a new environment, maybe geographically compared to where I was. And if you have built your identity on impact, you will implode. The way that you will endure for 50 years is if intimacy is your foundation and impact is just the frosting. Intimacy with God in that secret place. That is who you are first and foremost. And impacts, take it or leave it. So that there are days when you have a big church or a a, a top-selling album or you made a great video or whatever your world is. And everybody applauds. You get addicted to those applause. You are done. But you just shuffle off those applause like Jesus did. They tried to make him king, and he resisted him by force. They, they, they tried to applaud him. Jesus snuck off to get alone with his father. Jesus was not addicted to the applause. But in America, your temptation will be to be, your temptation will be, to be addicted to applause. And your temptation will be to always go impact before intimacy. Oh, yeah, 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 I can always get in intimacy with God, yeah, yeah. But right now, I'm in a vein, man. I'm in a zone, and i got to work this because right now, right now, I've got this job opportunity. Right now, I've got these people listening to me, and so later on, I'll develop that. I'm, I have the opportunity to be in a place where I'm, I'm still a young person. I know that seems crazy to you, but I'm still young. I know you don't really believe that, but at 37, I'm still young compared to my whole life of ministry. And I see a few men and women that are 70, and their ministry is fruitful at 70. I see most, and they tank somewhere along the way. And here's the difference. Rare are the 70-year-olds that had impact their whole lives. There's a few of them. You got Billy Graham, and you got some senior pastors that pastored the same church for 40 years. You got a few of them. But it's, it's less than 1%. Most went through days where it felt like ministry was good and the days that ministry was incredibly hard. And ministry was good and ministry was hard. The ones that have intimacy with God endure the valleys. The ones who don't feel like God has left them and they go do something else in the valleys because they're measuring their success on impact rather than measuring their success on intimacy. If you have intimacy with God, you have everything. If you are a disciple... If you are one of the disciples who have said, I've voluntarily given up everything, I'm not fighting for my nets, I'm not fighting for my business, I'm not fighting to stay here with Zebedee, I have given up everything. So, to who else can we go? You alone have the words of life. If you have that, then you have everything. So, Jesus is constantly getting alone to be with his father, he is a disciple. He is God, but he is constantly getting alone to be with his father. You could take this from the disciple standpoint about how they're alone with Jesus and how the, from being with Jesus, then they're able to go and make disciples. But the first and foremost principle is this. You've got to be a disciple before you can make disciples. And if you are a DLA core leader and you are supposed to be making disciples and you are not spending time with Jesus, then you don't have anything to offer. Oh, no, I did DLA last year. Who cares? Who cares? That's not what matters. What matters is that you have been with Jesus, and that when they look at you, they go, I see Jesus in you. Now, if you're in a DLA discipleship group, and you just heard me say that, and you think, oh, I just got a free ticket to not respect my leader. Forget that. No matter who that person is, your challenge is to say, Lord, I want to be discipled by you through this imperfect vessel. And there's, Lord, there's something that you can do in my heart through this person who is not perfect. Not one disciple maker is perfect. But every disciple maker that's intentional about trying to follow Jesus has something you can learn from. Yesterday I was talking to Renata about somebody in my life that I was saying... That person has uh, an area of influence in my life. And I want to be able to articulate something that I see Jesus in them. Strictly, I them. I, 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 strictly because I want to honor them. Strictly because I want to be able to know what is the thing that the Lord is showing me about himself through their character. And every person there is something. Not every person, but every person that is in your leadership uh, structure. That the Lord's put you under them. So... Caleb Culver may not be perfect, but there is something you can learn from him, right? Pick your person, all right? Be a disciple. Before you can make disciples, you've got to be a disciple. All right. Um, I'm going to move, move on. So talked a lot there. Let's do the second one is this. One, we receive like Jesus. Two, we disciple like Jesus. Now, Jesus made 12 disciples. And truth be told, not all of them worked out, right? Eleven worked out, one of them didn't. And so, I think that's even encouraging, even as you go to make disciples. Sometimes, for me, like, for me, when, when, when we started here, and I looked back over the years, you've got some kids that are just rocking and rolling. You've got, you've got some young people that are disciples today. Uh, on Wednesday nights, on our leadership team for commission, we've got kids that are going to go be missionaries in Nepal that, you know, got met and got married here in, in, in DLA. And and I love that. You've got Bucky and Aubrey that met in DLA, and they're going into full-time ministry together. And, you know, they're going to have 27 kids and homeschool, and it's going to be awesome. But, um, and I love that. I love that. But at the same time, there's, there's there's, I can give you some names of guys that I've wept over and I've prayed over that today they are, not in desperate pursuit, Jesus. And so, and so that's a challenge. So when you look at Jesus, Jesus had challenges. So I don't want this to be dreamy, airy-fairy, right? Carson leads within DSM. There's going to be some kids that he's discipling, and it's going to go great. There's going to be some kids that are going to make the, Everybody's got a free will. Everybody makes their own choices. Nothing's robotic. Nothing's all crisp and clean and cute and precise and neat. All right, but here's the deal. Many times you think of discipleship, I think of discipleship in kind of a broad term where it's just kind of organic, right? It's just kind of like, oh yeah, I'm making disciples. How? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm tweeting about Jesus and I'm uh, around other people. I, 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 I don't like that. I want to talk about, I think, I think when, you, when you look at Jesus, you, you see a model of actually being intentional about real people. And so... My prayer for you is that in every season of your life, you be able to articulate real people that you actually are discipling. Real people. And as you go through media, or as you go through ministry, and your ministry is media, or your ministry doesn't necessarily look specifically like something that has an organizational structure, the temptation is to say, well, that's just not my calling, that's not my gift. I want you to look specifically at, we all have spiritual gifts, but we've all been called to make disciples. So, you want to have in every season of your life people that you can articulate, that you can say, these are people that I am discipling. Plain and simple. Our goal with DLA is that you would understand that and that you would walk out of here and that years from now you would have real people. I'm not saying that you have to lead a discipleship program full-time like Dan and Amy do. I'm not saying that, but I am saying specific people Right, so like right now, and right now I could tell you specific people that I'm I'm committed to discipling, right? Four of them are between ages four and ten right now, right? Dawson, Olivia, Adeline, and Justice, right? I'm committed to discipling those four, all right? And that's a lot of work. I mean, Jesus only had three in his inner circle. I mean, I gave birth. You know, Renata did. I, Renata gave birth to four, right? I'm committed to those four, all right? But my point is, those are specific people that I uh, uh, that, that I'm committed to discipling. You want to have specific people that you go, all right, so Carson is... Sorry, I'm just picking on you. It's just easy. As he's in ministry, all right, where Carson says, these are, these are the three or these are the four, these are the five, these are the six even, that I'm going to be intentional about. So Carson could become famous preacher, uh, great leader, uh, you know, Jeannie Mayo, number two, you know, that kind of thing, and have a great structure of ministry, all right, at the end of the day, you want to be able to, if you, if you look at the life of Jesus, and I'm not saying this just theoretically. I'm saying, I'm just, you, you, look at Jesus and see if you can't see it. But you see Jesus intentionally discipling some. You've got John that he's really close with. Then you've got the three, Peter, James, and John. And then you've got the 12. And then surely you've got the crowds of 5,000, but he's intentional with some. And so the challenge is, is that as we, specifically as you become Uh, go into full-time ministry, as many of you will, not all of you, but many of you will, you won't be applauded for this. You'll be applauded for how good your your video is or your song or how big your ministry is. And so to stay faithful to Jesus and say, all right, I'm going to really disciple some. I'm going to really lead. I'm going to really disciple a handful. That'll be your challenge. So being intentional, not just informal about who you're going to disciple. And Jesus says this, uh, Jesus is teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. A lot of times when I'm around youth pastors, they say it's organic, man. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, teaching them to obey everything. You go back, look at everything Jesus taught the disciples. Look at all the conversations, where they're seated in the upper room, where they're walking along the street with the face that's resolute to go into Jerusalem. Look specifically at Jesus calling them and talking to them. You find Jesus teaching the disciples all the time. Sitting around the fire, Matthew 16, you know, Caesarea Philippi moments. All those moments Jesus is teaching them. And so when you think about discipleship, it's not just, hey, I've got these, these, you know, Young people that I'm hanging out with this year, it's intentional. How did Jesus disciple? I mean, when, when, you look at, when you look at how he discipled, here's one of the things in discipleship. Listen, Jesus has questions. Who do you say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, some say you're like, I don't know, Elijah. Some say you're kind of like um, Jeremiah. Say you're like John the Baptist or one of the prophets, and Jesus comes back and doesn't say, I am. Bah, 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 he says, What about you? Who do you say that I am? Gives Peter the opportunity to jump up and say, Well, you're the you're the Christ, you're the Son of the Living God. All right? When you disciple people, your temptation will be to just download information. Hey, you're sixteen, I'm nineteen, I got a lot on you. Let me download the scriptures to you. I've got ministry experience. I'm second year in DLA, baby. And it's just going to be like blah, 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 and they're just like uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But, you know what? 80% of what you're saying, they're not catching. Monolog, real discipleship is So, Caleb, so why do you think this? What, and how, how do you how do you how do you think that, that should be? And is this right? And, and what, what I'm doing, if, if, I'm, if I'm in a discipleship role with Caleb, and I'm saying that, I'm pulling out of Caleb what's inside of him. Jesus always asks questions. Jesus always was listening. Yes, there's great moments of monologues. We've got the Sermon on the Mount. We've got some great monologue moments from Jesus. But what I see is Jesus asking questions, hanging out with his disciples, saying, having dialogue. It's interesting. It's a huge part of how Jesus led his, his guys. As you go to disciple people, don't think of yourself as merely the downloader of information. There's moments like that. This is one of those moments. This is a monologue. Lots of people in the room, all right? And it's just me, just blah, 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 right? But if I'm going to go to coffee and I'm really going to try to disciple someone, like Carter Moore was a kid that was in DLA. And what I would try to do is I would try to have I, I, there was no way for me to disciple everybody, right? But I always tried to disciple someone on each level. So for me, that was real simple. One DSM or two DSM kids, one DLA first year. I always tried to have at least one on every level that I was connected to, right? And in doing that, then most of the time, they ended up, they ended up you know, becoming close friends. But the way was not... Let me, let me give you phase two of my sermon I preached last night. No, it's, so what'd you think? So how do you apply that? So what does that look like in your dating relationship right now? I, I see you and that girl. You guys are like kind of physical in public. I mean, you're physical in private. What, tell me what's going on. And just ask questions. And you'll watch. This is the way that Jesus, if you'll just start to listen as you disciple people in your discipleship groups, just listen. 80% of discipleship is Listening. Listening. And then giving just little phrases. If Carson has just downloaded to me all that's going on in his heart with ministry. If he's telling me all that's going on in his struggles. If he's telling me all about whatever. Then he looks at me and what's the posture of his heart? The posture of his heart when I go to respond is it's open. Right? It's, it's interested. It's what? It's real. It's what do you think? Okay. So then I've got a moment where I can say a couple things and it goes deep. But if we've got one hour together and I'm like, well, Matthew 3 says this and Matthew 17 says this and I was thinking about this, 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 this. here's what's going on. He's, just, he's smiling and he's cordial and he's kind and he's respectful because I'm a leader in his life and so he's respectful. And And leaders like that will often say, you know, you know we'll talk about, you know, how they've paved the way and listen to them and honor them and respect and all that kind of stuff, but here's the deal, what moves the heart is hear me listen that's how you'll value a young person, You listen you listen, 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 listen listen, 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 and then they'll open up their heart for just a moment, and that's where you go and you give them just that little bit of what Jesus thinks, so that's what I do with my kids with my kids I just, I, I just ask, I ask them questions all the time I'm asking them questions. I'm asking them questions of Dawson, right? So uh, we've got a, we've got a um, I'm trying to teach you a principle more than just a monologue, right? But we've got, a, we've got a neighbor kid. Yesterday, Dawson and he were out playing in the park. We have a park by our house. And I started asking Dawson questions about this neighbor kid, right? And so Dawson at first, uh, just, he says, well, you know, he tells me there's things I'm not supposed to you know, say to you guys. He's a good kid, and Dawson blows me off. Right? So then here's what I can do. I can jump in and I can say, Dawson, I can jump in and be like, your friends are your future, and ba da 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 da, and just start. And here's what happens in, in little Dawson if I do that. Okay, 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 okay. Preacher dad, right? But here, that's not what I did. I said, tell me his name. Oh, his name's Daniel. What do you guys do? Oh, we just shoot hoops. What do you guys talk about? Well, I don't know. He's. Dawson starts to open up. He's just moved here from another city. Oh, okay, so he doesn't have many friends. Oh, okay. Is he is, is he? Does he love Jesus? No, he doesn't. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't love God. There's, anything? No, no. I think he's a good kid. Anything weird happened? No. Well, well, well. What? Well, uh, he he told me not to tell you. Sorry, I Dawson. What did he say? Okay, now, if I have just gone straight into like, oh, good, and preached to Dawson, I got nothing. But here's what I pulled out of him yesterday. Well, he taught me a new word yesterday. What word, what word did he teach you? And my son, who's never heard this word before, just says F word, just loud. <laughs> Standing at, we're at, ch- as we're at church, we're talking in the lobby yesterday at New Life. This is what happened. He taught me this word. And he says the F word right in the middle of church. All right? Are you recording this? Okay. We need to edit this. Yeah. Now here's, now here's the deal. Here's my, here's my how, did I, how, how did I get to that moment? Yeah, even in that moment, you know what I did? I did not jump in and say, well, we don't say that. word." I said, well, what do you think about that, Doss? Do you think that that's good? Well, I don't know. What? And I said, well, let me, what do you think, Dad? What is it? Okay, there it is. So I've got this moment to disciple Dawson. He's asking me what I think about the F word. All right? Now, listen, what, what, what parent most parents come in and it's just full-on, protect, and dear God, no, he heard it. And, and we don't say that, and okay? But here's, the, everything is the heart. Everything is the heart. And so you want to just listen, 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 so that you get these moments where then you can say, "I have my son asking me what I think." So, so then I say, "Well here's what I think. What do you think? And then Dawson says, well, I guess I think what you think. Okay? Now, here's my point. The way that you'll disciple people, the the, 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 the idea that you're going to just tell them how to be because the Bible says so, that, that, that impacts a certain kind of person 30%. But you want... Real, vibrant Christianity. You want heart. You want dialogue. You want, here's what Jesus says. Here's what the scriptures say. What do you say? And you have conversation. That's real discipleship. That's what DLA is built on. That's why we have these discipleship groups. Is you got to lead them. You got to talk. You got to have conversation. You want to actually. And then when you leave here, my prayer is that you for years to come would make disciples. Even if it's One person. Even if it's three people. Does that make sense? That you would actually make disciples. So, um, first of all, we receive like Jesus. We disciple like Jesus. Um, And then I want to just say this. You never grow out of making disciples. You never grow out of it. All right? You always want to do it. It's not like, hey, you know, "I, I, I did that when I was young or, or, you know i'm now now i have a sewing ministry and so that is my ministry listen i believe that the lord has a calling on every single one of you and i do not believe that all of us have the same cookie cutter calling i do have the fear of the lord when i think of just taking paul's spiritual gifts and making that the totality of what we do for the lord i think that those spiritual gifts that god gave us are to help other people and that there are intentional ways that we want to help other people in discipleship. So the gift of hospitality, the gift of prophecy, the gift, name your gift. But it's, it's, it's got to be with real people. It's got to be intentional with real, I mean, in a real environment where you're really using it. It's not a spiritual badge. It's a moment where you're really trying to disciple and be intentional with real people. All right, last one is this. We pray like Jesus. Jesus said in John seventeen thirteen. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus doesn't talk to his Father about the miracles and the multitudes. He prays for his disciples. He doesn't say, Father, I did miracles in front of them. He doesn't say, Father, I pray for the 5,000 that showed up. He's desperate for the 12. The 12 that he loves. He says, Father, those are the ones. Sanctify them. Take care of them. Protect them. And that's the legacy that he's leaving behind leaving behind 12 men that would change the world he's leaving behind 12 men that would go into all the world and make disciples we know Judas ends up not being one of them so you could say 11 most of the time in ministry we have a short tenure most of the time the average life of a the average ministry life of a youth pastor is about 17 months some say 10 months depends on which denomination you're talking about some denominations pay better than others Some 10 months, some 17 months. Oftentimes, it's so quick to be done. And a lot of times, DLA graduates, even, you and for me, a lot of times, it's easy to fizzle. we receive from Jesus, intimacy before impact. We disciple like Jesus. I mean, we're committed to that. We're intentional. And then you start to pray for those people that you're discipling. If you start to pray for them, like Jesus prayed for his disciples, over time, your heart will connect to them. I want to just give you a confession. There are three guys that were guys I was praying for in high school that I, by virtue of trying to be intentional about leading them to Jesus in high school, that I just, my heart got connected to it, belief in it. Now, it's 20 years later, meaning 20 years ago, I was a junior in high school. Alright, it's 20 years later But I'm still praying for those three Now here's my point It's not glorify David moment here's, I still have a relationship with those three I have almost no relationship with anybody from high school Like zero I mean, Dane and Deborah were my triple sisters They were in my class, but other than them Alright, I have zero relationships From my graduating class Of 600 600 from my class 2400 in my school But somehow I still have, I was just texting last week with one of them, he lives in Houston. Not a Christ follower. I still have a relationship with those three. You know why I'm convinced I still have a relationship with those three? Because 20 years ago, I committed to pray for him. So when you start to pray for him, it just happens. You just, you're you're getting God's heart for them. You're looking for avenues to connect. They don't get out of your heart. God downloads his heart for people in the place of prayer. That's where you get it. Paul says it in Philippians 1, I long for you with the affections of Christ, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound. How does love abound? I pray for you with the affections. I prayed for you. And now the very way that Christ feels about you, I feel for you. Christ's love is in me. I long for you with the very affections of Jesus. Jesus, at the very end, is praying for the disciples. Why? Because this isn't the first time. Because he's been praying for these guys since the first moment he said, follow me right? He cares about them. He loves them. To be effective in ministry, as a disciple maker, you want to pray for the people that you're committed to discipling. And as you pray for them, your DSM group, cadre, small group, discipleship group, and for years to come, you pray for them and you'll watch. Your heart will be connected to them. Whatever you pray for, you care for because God does something supernatural, where He gives you His heart for them. I love. We just we took DLA right over here to the uh, to the headquarters for, of the Missionary Alliance, Christian Missionary Alliance headquarters, and we were doing a we did a whole thing back where we prayed through their whole facility. This is before you came, right? Were you here for that? Okay. Uh, uh, and we were praying through their whole headquarters and and the vice president took me up to the president's office, and he showed me this globe, and he told me the story. He said, see that globe right there? He goes, our whole denomination was birthed by A.B. Simpson holding a globe. that I don't know if it's a globe like that or that globe, holding a globe and weeping over the nations. He said, just tears. He said, just, he would just weep over the nations, and he said, they started with one man who would just weep. And, and then out of that prayer time came mission. Out of that prayer time was, I have to put feet to this mission. I, I, and starting a church and then that church, this, trying to reach the nations and out of that church, more churches and out of that, more churches a denomination. He said, but I'll he said the way that our denomination was birthed, our denomination was birthed with A.B. Simpson holding the globe and just weeping, just tears, praying for the nations. I think of Paul who says in 2 Corinthians 2, For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. I think of Psalm 126.5, Those who sow in tears will reap in joy. I think of the Puritans who prayed, God, give us the gift of tears. Here's what happens. As you cry out to God in the secret place of prayer for those you're committed to discipling, he gives you his heart for them. That's my last point on making disciples. Pray for the ones you're committed to discipling. Pray, cry out to God. Cry out to God. Lord, so if you're a a discipleship group leader, you cry out to God for the ones in your group. If you're leading within DSM, you're crying out to God. If you're on the school of worship, you know, maybe you're crying out to God for the people on your worship team or whatever, but you've got real people. And here's the deal. It doesn't you have to be here. Think of the three or four. Your relationships are so much deeper from where you came from because you spent years there probably. There's three or four people that you go, God. And here's the beautiful thing I love about social networking. For me right now, I thought I would never see those guys ever again. Social networking, the whole world has changed. Well, I'm not talking about the world's change because you got, I'm talking about the prayer world in terms of intercession, crying, keeping relationships that you're going to be discipling. You can still disciple through direct messages. You can stay in touch. God, and keep pr- crying out to God, give me that person. God, I pray that that person would come to know you. Jesus, I pray that that person that I have prayed for, the, the young man that Carson's been leading that is now headed off to college. God, and you just keep that relationship. You keep praying for him. and You keep Making disciples, but by all means, have some. By all means, get alone with Jesus and be discipled by Jesus. Number two, be intentional about making disciples. Number three, I mean, really, pray for them. And in that process, you will find yourself having meaning. You'll go, I'm really doing what Jesus told me to do. Like, it's not just a theoretical idea, and we're trying to find some scriptures to kind of copy and paste into my life and make my life feel relevant you think back and you go, no, Jesus made disciples. Jesus told me to make disciples. I'm making disciples. Here's two. I only got two, but I'm discipling these two. And you'll find life and joy. I'll tell you this. It is so fun for me to see Dan and Amy leading this program. I'll just tell you that. I find so much delight in it. You know why? Because Dan Perkins was my little brother up in Seattle, working in a, at a weightlifting place, hanging out, you know, and he was a receptionist at 24 Hour Fitness and living the good life. And you know what happened? I called Dan and said, "Dan, come do this with me." And Dan came here. Amy Mayer was a radical little 17 year old screaming prayer intercessor that down in Texas. And in 2002, we went down. We did a, a day of desperation there, and we did a prayer meeting down there. And she takes the microphone and she goes, "God," you know, and she just breaks open the whole little youth conference of 125 kids, you know, a little tiny conference, and she's like, Shut my and I'm like, I look at Dan, and I go, I want that girl to come do our internship. That girl's intense. We start recruiting that little, that little I mean, she was 16 years old. All right? Here's, here's my point. When I, for me, I've been committed to helping disciple my brother my whole life, all right? So you don't even know what joy brings, you know, to see to see Dan doing this. My life is full. I get to see Dan doing this and I'm like, I'm not taking credit. Jesus is the one doing it. My dad's been committed to it. The pastor's here committed to it. Caleb's serving him. I mean, he's he's got a lot of other pieces, but I know in my heart, a little bit of that, a little bit, just a little bit. When I look at youth pastors across the country, I don't take any kind of join it like it's me. But I, it's not, I don't say it as a platform. I say it as a, as a devotional prayer. There's a little bit that I go, God, I know those youth pastors. I know what that guy was like when I first found him. He was pretty committed to popping balloons with butts and just trying to survive. <laughs> and now he's got a vision to put prayer right at the center. There's A little bit of delight. There's a little bit. Why? Because making disciples is what we're here for. It just is. And so, and so you, it, your whole world changes. It's not a ministry game. It's like, it's not a platform. It's not a shadow mission to try to get people to like you in ministry. Ugh, that's gross. I'm telling you, it's a dead end. You will not be loved in ministry if your goal is to be loved in ministry. The only way is if you're the, the smallest, the weakest, go the lowest. And I got intimacy. So my impact is not, humans can't measure impact. One day we'll be shocked when Jesus says, here's the impact. And we go, God, but that guy had so many downloads, or that guy had a big church, or that, that, that lady, you know, did this and that, wrote that book, or whatever. Or, that guy's video was, because I don't measure like you guys measure. I don't, it's not about the way you applaud I applaud differently. That applause is so hard to keep central. But if you have it, you have everything. If you have it, you're motivated for life. I just look at, I look at Dick Eastman. He's 70 years old. He spent an hour alone with God every day for 40 years. And there have been times where his ministry looked like it was going through rough days. And there have been some days, like right now, where he's being applauded because... Right now, there's 13 million salvations a year across the world, 13 million annually because of his ministry. So right now, he has applause, but there's been days where he hasn't, but he's had, okay, I'm doing this for Jesus and out of that place of intimacy with Jesus. I could, I could go you know right around the circle and talk about Aubrey being faithful in her years, Caleb being faithful in his years, but for both of them, it's like, oh, it's, just, doing that, I mean, it's for Jesus. Whether you have me report that here or here, do this or that, and this for him. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did, because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life.